Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Soundworks Collection interview series. This is Michael Coleman, and this week I spoke with composer Mac Quayle. Mac has written music for over 30 films and television shows, and has accumulated a long list of credits as a music producer, dance remixer, and multi-instrumentalist. As a composer, his music was most recently heard in the hit FX series American Horror Story Freak Show, as well as in a diverse list of feature films and documentaries including Autism and Love, which premieres at this year's Tribeca Film Festival and is featured in this interview. Some of Mac's collaborations as an additional composer with composer Cliff Martinez appear in such movies as Drive, Contagion, Spring Breakers, The Normal Heart, and in the television series Cold Case. I hope you enjoy. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. I really appreciate having the chance. You know, I've, I, I come across composers and people who work in the industry and in music and whatnot, and then you look at their roster of work and it's like, why, why haven't I spoken with this person yet? It's, it was just a matter of time until I think I connected with you, and I'm, I'm really happy that we're able to connect because you've been working on a lot of really great projects over the years. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm happy that, uh, yeah, that we're, we're able to do this. I um, was recently acquainted with your with your podcast and I, I went and listened to a few of your interviews and and I enjoyed them and just found it to be uh, just sort of a comfortable like a couple of guys sitting down and talking about about stuff you know it just seemed yeah it was, it was nice oh right on so tell me where are you right now where in you're in LA right I'm in Los Angeles where, where about in LA Topanga Canyon and how long have you been in LA? Or are you from LA? Were you when did you come to LA? What, what what's your backstory? Well, I uh, I grew up in Virginia, and then um, I moved to New York City to go to NYU, and I was there for many years. Um, and sort of my my first career was there in New York in the music business, working as a uh, musician, keyboard player, programmer, and then producer and remixer. Uh, very, very involved in dance music. And I, I, I just looked at all your music credits, and it seems like you had another life in the music world. It does feel like that. It feels like it was another, another life. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a good time, and um, I worked with a lot of great people, a lot of DJs, and um, early two thousands, the music business was starting to show. Uh, its first signs of, of trouble that uh, it was like time to leave New York and and look around for something else and so I, I came out to Los Angeles in 2004 mm-hmm. with a vague a vague notion of getting into scoring and what were your thoughts just about like your background of I mean there's definitely something about being a musician and and, and being able to produce and work with the creative types um, what in your mind was kind of like what, what was your your Signature. What what did you think that you were going to necessarily be able to bring to kind of the music scoring type of uh, the world and type of work that you you were looking to do? Um, it really wasn't such a defined idea. Um, I just I knew that I I really enjoyed film music, and I had never been a really good songwriter. I was never good with lyrics. Uh-huh. And so I just like this idea of writing music that accompanied something else. So in a way, like the the dialogue on screen or, or the visuals on screen, like they were the lyrics. 
right. and I could just be the back the background. Mm-hmm. And so I there's something about that idea that resonated with me. And also, I guess um, more recently, you, I mean, some of the definitely more recent projects as you've gone into TV and also doing um, just looking here like the documentary Autism and Love, which is going to be premiering at Tribeca. How, at, at this point, even looking back on the, the past few years of, of your work, how, how, did, how, how have you managed to navigate just all the opportunities that have kind of come across your plate? Well, um, I mean, my, my path has, has been a pretty specific one, um, which, is, which is kind of a well-worn a path in this, in this field, I, I think, is working for other composers. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> my first... My first job was working for a, a really great composer named Michael Levine on the television show Cold Case. Mm-hmm. And um, during that time, I met Cliff Martinez, who um, is an amazing film composer. And I was a, a huge fan of his. And then I had the opportunity to work with him. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've probably done, I don't know, like 12 films with him. And some pretty awesome films. I mean, just between even Drive and Contagion and Spring Breakers, The Normal Heart. Yeah, it's a, it's a really nice nice collection. I, I think that Cliff um, does a great job of kind of curating the projects that he, that he signs on to. So working with Cliff, um, I learned so much from him. Um, and then through those projects having the notoriety that they did I started to attract some of my own some of my own work mm-hmm. and that's kind of led me to uh, you know some of the recent projects that I've been been working on well there's a lot um, stylistically a lot of your, I just I was just looking and listening to all the a lot of the samples you had on your website from Contagion even listening to that music it's not your traditional Hollywood orchestration of a you know strings and the the, the kind of the se- the musical sections that we're so used to hearing so what is your mode your own personal mode of, of how you write where do you go is it is it pen and paper is it on a computer and, and then like what type of software or what is how, how do you attack even starting um, with your writing process yeah I'm, I'm definitely uh, all about the computer you know my background has been with synthesizers like forever. Okay. Well, what was one? Of, what was like one? Of, what was your your gateway drug into the synthesizer world? What did you start off with? You know, um, back in Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, I played in some rock bands, and there was a there was another local rock band, and the keyboard player in that band had a Yamaha CS80. Just like a classic polyphonic sizer, and I believe a Korg MS20. So he invited me over to his apartment, and he gave me a demonstration of them. And pretty much ever since that day, like I've been just trying to reproduce the experience I had <laughs> getting exposed to those synthesizers. Like that was it, and, so, and from there on and on. I mean, there's no, there's nothing that's. That's any. It's never any better than your first love, the first time you're exposed to it, because it's always so new and interesting. And like, I'm looking at the picture of the CS80. I mean, that thing takes you back. You look at the interface, and you're like, all right, well, that's definitely not from today. That's a totally different piece. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I can only imagine the sounds that come out of it too are 
definitely not from today. No, no. I mean, there's a there's a plugin that uh, imitates it, um, but uh, it's funny because all those years ago, getting exposed to it, I've never played one since then. Uh-huh. So it seemed like that would be a good idea to try to at least play one or or, or get one would be a dream to have. Uh-huh. But um, they're pretty rare, I think. So, I mean, um, what is your like your mo- what what software are you using then for sequencing and programming and building your tracks? I use Logic. And how, how have you found just your process using? I mean, were you always on Logic, or what, what were you? What was your transition into Logic? Um, I transitioned to Logic probably 15 years ago. Okay. Um, I was using Digital Performer before then, and yeah, now it's just it feels. It's comfortable. It feels like like home to me. You know, over those 15 years, uh, the program has come a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so have the computers and all the other uh, third-party software. And the studio that I had 15 years ago, the computer was part of it. Mm-hmm. But most everything else was outside of that. Mm-hmm. There was a mixing console. There was lots of hardware keyboards. There was outboard effects. There was all these other things. And very slowly, over that time, the computer sort of swallowed all of it up. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how much outboard gear do you have? I have very little now. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that that's, uh, outboard gear doesn't have a place mm-hmm. because um, there's certainly a lot of great studios where a lot of outboard gear is still, still being used, but... Just for my workflow, it just becomes so convenient just to have everything in the computer. You can just recall something instantly, exactly the way it was the last time you saved it. Are, are there other people that inspired you? You know, either when you're growing up or coming through. You know, who were those influences for you? The people that like caught your attention early on that got you hooked into even thinking about becoming a, a you know, a musician or being part of this community. Well, I mean. I, I would think that uh, I've always been a collaborator, mm-hmm. and I've been fortunate to collaborate with a lot of talented people, and they've inspired me to, you know, to to push and and move forward. I mean, in New York, when I was in the music business, I was being hired by producers to work on on records with them, and. Um, and they inspired me to, to learn more about what they were doing. And then we ended up co-producing together. And then I ended up producing on my own. And, and then the same thing has happened in the, in the film music and TV music, you know, working with people like Michael Levine and Cliff Martinez. Um, they, uh, they, they taught me so much about um, the art, the craft, and, and even like navigating a lot of the business and politics that are involved. How have you found just, you know, staying busy and, and creative and consistent, I think, with the type of work that you've been wanting to produce? How have you found the past few years of, you know, taking on a mixture, like we're saying, the documentaries and the TV shows? What What is, how do you describe, like, I don't know if you can, but describing kind of a year in review, like when you think about the year ahead or even last year, how do you gauge, um, you know, how much work you might become, might be, you know, the the volume of music that you're you're going to be, you know, required to produce. Hmm. You know, I try not to think about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it could it could be a little um, frightening. Yeah. If I if I really get down to like minutes, how many minutes do I have to write today? 
Yeah. In order to 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 uh, make the deadline. Are, are um, you are you like a morning person, a late night person? When when do you feel like your creativity comes out? You know, it, it's not really evident. Okay. Um, it can it can be the morning? It can uh-huh. sometimes, you know, two in the morning after mm-hmm. a long day. There's some great stuff happening. Um, I'm I'm still trying to really find what that perfect workflow is. Um, this last year, uh, everything's been totally turned upside down. I became a father, mm. and um, we have a daughter who's almost 10 months. So that's completely changed all the schedules and like kind of learning everything all over again about yeah. how to be productive and when to be productive. And I can, I can imagine there's an aspect of like insomnia that kind of plays a role in how much energy you might have throughout the day. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, insomnia and, and amount of sleep yeah. uh, is, is an important <laughs> an important factor. With that being said, when you have a project like American Horror Story, a freak show here, wh- how can you describe taking on the responsibility of, you know, how did that project come to you and what were your initial thoughts about being a part of this this series, which, correct me if I'm wrong, was, you know, something that a series that was being scored by another composer and then now you've come on the past the past season, is that right? That, that's correct. Yeah, that show uh, came to me through um, working with Cliff on The Normal Heart. Um, the Normal Heart was directed by M- Ryan Murphy, who is the creator of, of uh, Horror Story. And um, so I met uh, one of the producers during that process and I guess it was late last September of 2014 when I got a phone call from this producer saying that they were looking to go in a different direction with the music on Horror Story. And uh, so far they've tried some things and, and it wasn't working. Would I be interested in taking a shot at it? Yeah. Um, and they said... Like we need it immediately, <laughs> like yesterday. So, so I I sat down and in the afternoon I wrote a cue that um, I thought might be this new direction that they were looking for, and I sent it to the producer. She loved it. She said she would present it to Ryan the next day, and then she called me in the morning, not twenty four hours from her first phone call and yeah. says, can I speak to the new composer of American Horror Story? Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things, like you get asked to do something, you don't think you're going to get it, but you want to put your best foot forward, but then you get it, and so what's next? What what happens? Well, there wasn't really time to um, think about the, you know, like, like in your question, like, well, how did I imagine myself working on the project or what did I think it was going to entail? There wasn't really any time. I was just, yeah. I was just in. And all of a sudden, I'm just writing as much music as I can. Yeah. And did you feel like there was a responsibility to continue what was already established from the previous composer or were you able to start over at that point? I, I do believe they were looking for this new direction. Mm-hmm. I was not referencing what had happened in the previous seasons. Yeah, and for that show as well, um, you know, each season is like its own completely different story. Right. 
so it, d- it didn't need to relate anyway. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I was just off and running uh, with this this new sound. The, the cue I had written, uh, they labeled it um, '50s sci-fi <laughs> music. So then you you went back to your the CS80 then obviously you went back to the <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I, I wish I had one. <laughs> Looking back on the music from this past season even or from the from what you've worked on so far, um, you know now that you've had a chance that the work's been done, w- what are your thoughts just about like being under the pressure of of having a limited time to really think about it of kind of trying to build a plan? Well, I guess I'm. A little more confident now. Mm-hmm. Um, I survived the season. <laughs> yeah. And I survived the pressure. Yeah. Um, and since I had not done a show on my own up until that point, it wasn't totally clear whether, you know, how I would do. Um, when I had worked on Cold Case, you know, that was a lot of pressure, but I was working for another composer. I, it all wasn't on my shoulders. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I I felt I feel a little more confident. Like okay, I can, I can uh, I can probably do this. What what's the difference of the like what's the difference of the mindsets between having your name on a project and someone else's name on it? In terms of like, do you feel like there's a greater need for importance of of how you wanted to um, attack the music or or even think about the music that you're producing? I mean, there there is a more feeling of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um. When it's someone else's name, then like I'm not really responsible for it. Um, I mean, I do feel like I share the responsibility some because I'm cause yeah. I'm in there and giving giving it my best. But when it's my name, um, then yeah, it's all it's kind of all on me. And so, if um, whoever likes or doesn't like the music, it's gonna it's gonna come back to me. Yeah. Well, what did your team look like? Did you have a team, or were you the sole? creator for for that show then i was the sole creator how did you how did you find just like what was the frequency of how much how they at least produced um the episodes were there overlaps were you doing it all at once was it like how did how did they produce that show um there was overlap um you know the episodes were airing one a week with maybe two there were two times when there would be an extra week without it without a new episode mm-hmm. and this is this is over like the thirteen episode run of the season okay um so say I'm working on episode four and that's getting finished. I'm already working on episode five, yeah, and um maybe deep into episode five uh, and it's possible the first things from episode six are coming in. So I could actually be working on three episodes, and then four <laughs> will be done. And now I'm just on the two episodes, and, then, and so it would overlap a little bit like that. How much material do you tend that, on average, are is being covered in each of these episodes that you're producing? It did vary, um, but I would say there was probably twenty to thirty minutes of score. Okay. In each episode. That's a lot of music. So, like, what? Is, how do you find? Like some of the themes um, or the melodies, or trying to come up with differences, or or like what was important to you in terms of trying to come up with kind of the the soundscape for for the season. Well, I mean, one of the things about television typically is that 
once you've established some themes, they can be reused. So, mm-hmm. not starting from scratch every episode. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of a lot of things that that kept getting repurposed and and developed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there would then there would also be several new things, some new ideas, and um, what there ended up being sort of three or four sounds or um, tones, let's say, in the season. There was there was the fifty sci-fi sound, mm-hmm. right? Um, there was this um, sort of early twentieth century classical music mm-hmm. sound. Um, there was a more somewhat traditional horror sound. And then there, you know, since the story took place in this freak show, circus carnival setting, there was a kind of a weird circus sound. I mean, I, I just think as a composer, that's like the last thing you want to be composing is circus music or anything that's associated with circus music. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a lot of that they did. They did use some source music. Um, I got to, I got to go there some. Okay. But in the other in the other three areas, like once those were really established, then it was about well, how can I, um, you know, how can I push the boundaries a bit within each of those? Yeah. What What can I do? Um, the the twentieth century classical music. Uh, I was able to to get into this 12-tone mm. type of thing, which I hadn't really done much with before. And um, and I found it really interesting and really bizarre. Mm-hmm. And they, they seemed to love it. They being, you know, the producers and, yeah. and uh, Ryan Murphy. Mm. So um, that was my first signal that, oh, they, they like it when it's really weird. Yeah. So I just kept, <laughs> like, let's see how weird I can go with it. Uh, and it was it was a lot of fun to to get to uh, to just really push the boundaries a bit. When does it, when does the next season happen for uh, for Freak Show? I believe it'll it'll be around the same time, so it would start airing in October. Okay. And I think they're they're going to be calling it next year. It will be Hotel. Are you are you signed on to do that also? I am. Awesome. That's a, that's really exciting. I mean. It's a little job security. It's like, I know what I'm doing this time next year. Yes, and I'm excited to see what they're going to come up with. No one really knows yet. Some of the cast members have been announced. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm, I would bet that, that I'll be inhabiting some, some other musical universes, something, oh, something different. Nice. So changing gears here, talking about uh, even a documentary project like this one, Autism and Love, which I, I checked out um, as much as I could about the film. It would be premiering at Tribeca here on April 16th, which, um, you know, w- w- how do you describe the process of not even, uh, or, or just working on a documentary film? How is it very, uh, how, is, is there a different type of vehicle that music takes on when it's in a documentary film or are there like the similar types of usage or like transitions or, or, keeping the energy and the momentum of a scene going how did you find the music played into like a film even like the autism and love project well um this project the the director and his team you know they had a really good sense about what they wanted musically and um 
they came to me with uh, some pretty specific ideas, and we were able to um, talk about those mm-hmm. and look at the picture, and it gave it gave me a good starting point to go and start writing some music. And um, you know, the, this particular documentary has kind of three three different stories in it. So so there were some themes. So um, my first job was to come up with sort of a, a theme for each one of these stories. And um, once I had a, a few ideas down, the director came to the studio and I played him for him and he was really happy and, and sat, sat with me and we tweaked some of the stuff and we just sort of moved forward like that. I think of documentary films that there's so much that um, music can do from a sense of just production value of really making it feel like it's a seamless experience of just kind of the consistency over documentary can even just be as much as uh, can be just because for music. But what did you find like from these experiences of even working on this film? I mean, in your mind, is this a independent kind of um, lower budget type of project in terms of resources that you had? Yeah, definitely an independent film. Yeah. Um, and um, a lot of heart mm-hmm. in the subject matter about uh, it, it looks at uh, autistic people and their love relationships. You know, the director was shooting it and interviewing um, the people in the movie, and it just, you could just really feel that he cared a lot about the people he was making the, the movie about. How would you just? Uh, sorry to interrupt, but how would you describe like even a spotting session for a documentary film? Like when you get it, is it complete where you can actually have a spotting session where you know that it's not a moving edit? Like how do, how did it work for this film? Yeah, fortunately, by the time they came to me, it was it was practically locked. Okay. The cut. Um, they made very small changes to it. Um. Unlike a, a documentary I had worked on a few years ago, which uh, was constantly changing, yeah. So, so it was t- a totally different process. But, um, but this one, yeah, this one was was pretty. The version that I first saw was practically the same as what they ended up with in the final. What What did you find, just in terms of like? I mean, every director and, and composer relationship is going to be different, but what in your mind makes like a really good harmonious experience? For from your perspective of being a composer of do you need a director to give you specifics or sometimes is it better to be a little more vague and I mean every project's different but what do you find works best for you um I mean I can go either way I can go either way with the specific or the vague um but I just I like it when there's a uh, a good line of communication open so um if I write a piece of music present it to the director that he can then um, honestly tell me whether he likes it or not, and if he likes it but not completely to try to convey to me what it is about it, he'd like me to change, to make it just right. And if he doesn't like it at all, then he, you know, he tells me that and he feels comfortable to tell me that. Um, could you just try try something else? And for like a low, you know, a lower budget documentary film, especially documentaries, you know, like. There's all different flavors of documentary films. There's large budget. There's these kind of kind of Kickstarter even approaches. What do you find in terms of like the amount of time 
and resources that you can provide to a film when when, it, when the budget is small? Is it not real? Is it more of a passion project at that point for you? What, what's the balance? For, uh, how do you manage those? Um, I mean, it does become a bit of a passion project, and um, you know, I, I I was attracted to the film and and I wanted to do it and I liked the director and so, um, so yeah, it was able to work within their budget and. Uh, you know, give them the best that I could. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't want to tell anyone, oh, I'm sorry, you know, there's not enough money, I'm going to write some bad music for you. Right. I, mean, <laughs> I don't think someone, like, consciously makes that decision. That's not really, like, a, an option. Right. <laughs> so, I guess, lastly, um, you just had this other film, Mr. Robot, which premiered at South by Southwest, which um, was, I guess, a USA Network show, right? And tell me a little bit about that project. Um... Yeah, that's a new show that uh, will be premiering on the USA Network this summer. And it is about a hacker. So it's a very, very timely. Um, a lot of hacking going on in our world. And it's a drama. Uh, the pilot is just really interesting and different and exciting. And I, I was drawn to it immediately, and um, and I can't say too much about the story, but um, the, you know, f- based on the screening at South by Southwest, uh, the reaction was um, finally a show gets hacking right. <laughs> you mean you mean the like An- Angelina Jolie movie wasn't enough? I, I guess. The people that had these opinions didn't didn't think so. <laughs> so, yeah, they they were impressed um, by by how hacking was was represented in this in this show. So, I'm optimistic. I'm looking forward to seeing episode two. Well, what can you say stylistically? You're trying to achieve with you know with the theme of hacking, music wise. How did you represent that? Well, um, the creator of the show uh, came to me with some. Sp- pretty specific ideas and um, was looking for something totally electronic. Yeah. And um, when I say electronic here, I mean that it, I mean, it sounds electronic. It sounds like it's made with synthesizers as opposed to something that might be made in the computer with all electronics, but doesn't necessarily sound so electronic. Okay. But um, but yeah, this has got a very electronic sound. Um, there's maybe a little bit of an '80s influence. <laughs> Once again, that CS80 Once had another again. chance. Right. <laughs> That's all right. I think I did use the CS80 plug-in oh, okay. a little bit. All right. But uh, still, still no real one. Yeah, hopefully yeah, yeah. soon. Well, Mac, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it. For people who are interested in finding out more about you and your music and what you're up to, where should they go? Where, where's the best place to track you down? Well, I have a website, MacQuail.com. Um, I also have a Facebook music page, mm-hmm. also MacQuail. <laughs> and um, and I occasionally send uh, smoke signals out of the chimney of my house. Okay. <laughs> so I have some very important information to be gleaned from them. Uh, get your decoder ring and we can figure <laughs> it out. Uh, do you have any? Do you post any of your music samples on SoundCloud or any other websites like that? Um. I have a SoundCloud account, mm-hmm. and, and there is some music up there. Uh, I need to look into. Um, there's, there's been some legal 
Oh, yeah, sure. So, like SoundCloud started cracking down, and I had put up a few things that I had done with Cliff on some films, and then all of a sudden I get a notice from them saying, you know, we've removed this from your page because it's copyrighted. And um, so, for instance, if I were to put something up from American Horror Story on there, the, the same thing might happen, you know, as it's owned by a, a big corporation. So There needs to be some way to be like, no, 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 I, I created this. This is, this is okay. Right. <laughs> awesome, Mac. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk, and I really look forward to checking out more of your work coming out throughout the year. And um, yeah, man, it was a pleasure talking with you. So thanks so much for taking the time. Well, thank you. I, I really enjoyed speaking with you as well.